Michael here with a solo episode all about RPGs. I haven't done a little side project since Fire Emblem Quest Along, so this is really exciting. But here at Bits of Time as a whole, we don't like to waste your time, so let's just dive into it. We're going to go through some RPG news, get through some release dates, have a big discussion about Horizon Forbidden West and Final Fantasy 16. You wouldn't think those two would pair up on a RPG news podcast thing, but we'll get to there and we'll end the episode about where I want to see a popular RPG series go from here. One of my most anticipated games in the JRPG genre. Just got raided in Australia, so I'm thinking it's coming this year for sure. Grand Blue Fantasy Relink has had a release date of 2023. I believe it's also said winter at some point. I think we're actually getting this game this year. If you've never heard of this game, well, you should definitely do a little Googling and check it out. The art style looks really cool. Gameplay looks promising. Definitely kind of like this MMO action RPG thing going on here. There is a fighting game called Versus, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, which I own on my shelf. I have not played it. I know nothing about this world that it's set in, but it seems like this is a spot where you can just jump right into. So check it out, Grand Blue Fantasy. I think it's I think it's coming. Got rated. I'm excited. And we just learned that Sea of Stars is also coming to PlayStation Plus as well. A little conflicted on this, which we'll get into, but I don't know if that means the monthly PS Plus, because you know, with the name change and everything, or you go to a different tier and you get uh, Sea of Stars as well. And you might be asking, why am I conflicted about this? Because this is my most anticipated game for the rest of the year. And yes, I'm very excited for Super Mario RPG and Super Mario Bros. Wonder, but we are focusing on RPGs on Save Point, so stick to that, even though Super Mario RPG is an RPG, and I'm really excited for that one, but Sea of Stars hype is unreal. But where is the conflict coming for me? I kickstarted this game in 2020, and they raised $1.2 million, which is a lot of money. They had a lot of work already done, but I immediately saw it, and I was like, yes, I'm supporting this crew. They did the messenger before this, and they're definitely going in a completely different route which I'm excited about and it just looks just gorgeous but you know then I got the reveal a couple years later that it's coming to Game Pass so they got the huge chunk of money from Game Pass from Microsoft and it's just like all right you know what you know I don't always subscribe to Game Pass all the time so that's okay that I you know I still get my physical copy I also get digital copies so I'm, I'm set and then we have this another announcement of the PlayStation so they're getting another bag of money I have no qualms with giving them money during the Kickstarter because that is my prerogative. I volunteered that money. But did you really need that money? You got all big three of the publishers to go in on this game. You got Sea of Stars to show up in a Nintendo Direct. You got the Game Pass money, and now you have the PS Plus money. So I I want this game to succeed, and I think it will because it looks gorgeous. I just, I don't know how I feel about it. I put up this money and I'm happy because I get the physical copy, you know, with Game Pass and yada yada, I wouldn't get the physical copy. But, you know, I'm pretty sure I could probably buy it later down the year when it comes to Target, Game, Best Buy, whatever it is. 
it's just a strange look and I don't know how to feel about it. That is a lot of money they're getting. And, you know, when you kickstart something, you know, it almost like the idea won't work. And they were very transparent and they said it could be risky funding a ambitious project like this one. And I do agree, but what they showed initially right off the bat seemed pretty complete. I wouldn't say complete. They had a very good vision of what it was. So I feel like they could have probably brought that to a different publisher and got maybe some exclusivity or something like that. Or maybe they didn't want to go that route and they wanted to stay independent and it is definitely working out for them just fine. But this is me just kind of ranting because I don't really know where I fall. Is this an okay thing? Has this ever happened before? The only thing I can think of is like Shamu 3 maybe had a Kickstarter, but then they still got published by Sony. I can't even remember what that was all about. It's just it's just an odd place to be, but I want this team to be successful. You know, they're a very small team. I think they said in the Kickstarter, 16 people. That's really exciting for them to get this much attention on this game, and I'm super excited for that game to come out on August 29th. And that's the first release date that we're talking about, but in August we also have Tower of Fantasy, a new MMO, and that's coming out on August 8th for the PlayStation 5. I will say, it, I say the word new, new for PlayStation 5 owners. I remember seeing that in the, oh, what are they called? State of Play, PlayStation Showcase, whatever they ended up calling it. And so I believe this has already been out for PC, so it's new to the PlayStation 5. Looks pretty awesome, not gonna lie. I don't know if I have uh, time to jump into an MMO. There's a lot of games that are sinking in my time lately. I like the RPGs, what can I say? Now, we also get Atlas Fallen. The release date is pretty imminent. August 10th for PC, Xbox Series, and the PS5. Xbox Series? Is that how you say it? The series of Xboxes? I'm not sure. The modern consoles. Now, from a quick glance of this game, it kind of looks like Final Fantasy 16's combat. It's got me a little intrigued. Definitely more on the action focus than the RPG, but you do level up, you do quests. I mean, almost anything can be considered an action RPG nowadays, but this is something to maybe keep your eye on if you haven't really been looking into it, because I had no idea it was coming out. I don't even know if I've ever seen a trailer until the day I'm recording this. Now that there are some other games coming out as well, Baldur's Gate 3, all that jazz, but usually when I'm going to do release dates, upcoming release dates, it's just games that I'm keeping an eye on myself, and maybe you haven't heard of it, so just trying to keep you in the loop. And just a little reminder before we get on to the big topic of the episode, if you're liking this or any of the Bits of Time episodes, give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That really does help us out. Or share it with a friend or an enemy. You know, in RPGs, frenemies is a thing. And maybe they'll become your friend. All because of a little podcast. That would be lovely. Art is subjective, but why does it seem like most video game journalists are out to get Japanese developers over the Western ones? And also, why does it seem like they want to change the very fabric of that culture to meet the needs of somebody else that doesn't live in that area? This line of thinking brings me to Horizon Forbidden West's representation of a gay character compared to Final Fantasy XVI's representation and how one does it better than the other. Subjectively. There was a lot of praise this year when Horizon Forbidden West's DLC Burning Chores came out and we could actually have a romance choice for Aloy. And honestly, I'm all for this choice. I think it's a little strange that maybe she's bi, but it seems like she's gay because that's the 
you can only romance a female option. Now, for the most part, Aloy just, like, pushes everybody away, which I, I always like that in Horizon Zero Dawn. I haven't beaten Forbidden West, but I'm excited to get to this eventually. I put a decent chunk of time into it, I think, like, 20 hours or so. But I always liked how she was just, like, pushing everybody away, but she would kind of flirt here and there with certain dialogue options to, you know, males and females, it seemed like. But for the most part, I thought she was just asexual, didn't care about that. It was the mission, and that's all that matters, and I don't blame her. But now we actually get a route when we go down this path where she actually kisses another woman, and yay, happiness. I'm glad that Aloy is finding the happiness. So finally, the flirting actually leads to a romance option. But just like with Naughty Dog's Last of Us, you have to get it, you have to pay to see this. So it's it's canon, obviously, but you have to spend extra money to see this. Just with, like, The Last of Us Left Behind, you wouldn't know Ellie was gay in the main game if you didn't experience the Left Behind DLC. So then when Last of Us Part 2 came around, some people were shocked about that she was actually gay. Which, again, I could see it being shocking. I hope it's not shocking for bad reasons, but shocking just to be like, where did this come from? Well, they probably didn't play the DLC. Which might happen here again. Horizon Forbidden West decides to show... Yes, you get your gay character, but you have to pay for it. Which is a little, I don't know, it's a little backwards in my head. So then you go, <laughs> you go to Final Fantasy 16, who has a prominent gay character who is integral to the main story of the game, which is freaking awesome. It's not a spoiler because we've seen who the icons are and all the promotion. Bahamut is the gay character. Like one of the most freaking awesome icons, summons, GFs, whatever you want to call them, is gay and freaking pride dragon man. Awesome. But do you know what they do wrong with this? When Dion gets to kiss his significant other, his lover, they pull the camera back a little bit. And when I first saw this revelation, this thing going around on the interwebs, you know, I was like, oh yeah, that kind of that seems a little strange when they don't do that with other characters that have romantic moments in the game. So right there, that is kind of jarring to be, you know, our, was the director of Final Fantasy 16 worried about showing this type of scene that close together? I don't think that's what it is. And from memory, the one scene that I think about where other two characters are kissing, they have longer hair <laughs> and it kind of blocks the mouth area. So I think, Honestly, I think it's an animation standpoint. I don't think it's like a, no, you can't see the gay kissing as clearly because we don't want that. I think it's from an animation type of thing. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe we'll get some press out there saying like, no, we didn't want to show that as clearly. That would be that'd be very bad. But honestly, I think it's just strange to me when you compare these two. The representation in Final Fantasy 16 is on the main story beats. You cannot skip them. You cannot miss them. And he has such an interesting story, but he's also gay, which is, I think, a great way for Final Fantasy 16 to put it into the story. You know, not hyper-focus on it, but it also celebrate this excellent character in this game that is also gay. It's, it, it's great. But then you have a specific person on the internet, Kenneth Shepard of Kotaku, who praised the Forbidden West's kissing scene and didn't think that the Final Fantasy 16 one was good because and he you know paraphrasing and whatever he didn't like the pullback scene which 
when he pointed that out and you know i've seen this going around the interwebs like before my initial reaction was kind of like oh yeah yeah maybe that is kind of strange but again we're comparing a dlc versus a main character in a, the video game that you can't be skipped i i would way rather it be final fantasy 16's version and again, this is the second time that a first-party studio from Sony has chosen to put their gay representation in DLC. I think this... I, don't, I can't wrap my head around why this is a worse version. But then, you know, I like to go deeper. Final Fantasy 16 is an action RPG. It is well-known, huge strides for the representation and all that. And you just realize that some of our journalists here or whatever, any Western-focused journalism kind of does a weird thing with Japanese games. They tend to put their focus, their ideologies and everything on from them and try to pass it on to a Japanese developer, which the hierarchy, the culture, everything is so much different than from here. It's kind of strange. Let's deviate away from the big Final Fantasy. Another big RPG series is Persona. And Persona 6 has got people thinking the same way. This is a write-up from Kian over at The Gamer. And this is about Persona 6. And this was published in 2021. So, you know, it's been a little bit away from that. And it's kind of about the criticism. And the title of the article is, If Persona 6 really is coming, Atlas needs to change things up. So, you are telling them the Japanese publisher, what they need to change. So what is the big thing that they want to change? Quote, both Persona 4 and 5 have a male protagonist by default, which is a little odd when you consider that several earlier games in the series gave us the option to choose between two characters. Persona has been widely criticized for this shift, although Atlas has never officially put out a response to said criticism. At present, it remains unclear as to why Joker and you were written as fixed protagonists. One, I like that Atlas has not responded because <laughs> they are the ones making the game. So there you get the final say. And maybe they wanted Joker and you, so that's Persona 4 and 5, to just be focused on that one storyline and not have to worry about, you know, doing a multiple characters like a female route or something like that. Would it have been better if you was able just to swap genders? Is that the inclusion that you want? I would rather have it to be a separate storyline, kind of like Persona 3 Portable, where it changes up things here and there. And, you know, that does put more work into it. And also, me as a bystander, whatever the creative vision they want to do, they can do. Now, do I think it would be cool if Persona 5 had the option to be a female protagonist? Yeah, absolutely. And I would be totally okay if Persona 6, all you can be is a female. That'd be fine. Now, would, you, would there be uproar if you could... If you can't be a male in Persona 6, I have no idea. I don't know if that's what these people want, or they just want the option for the female option. Which, again, I'm totally fine with, but maybe the creative people making those games at that time only wanted to focus on one route. That's all right. Continuing with the quote, which is also pretty interesting, it's also worth directing attention to the fact that Atlas doesn't allow you to pursue same-sex relationships, despite the fact that Joker and Ryuji are clearly boyfriends. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, Ryoji and Joker are not boyfriends. They are just really best buds. And that's the, the same vibe I got when playing this game. Ryuji is one of my favorite characters in Persona 5. Might be my favorite character in that game. I'd have to really think about that. 
but it's so weird when people project, you know, I, I can click on this article that's also written by the same person, you know, in the same year. And you're just projecting your ideals on what a character should be. So because you think they are <laughs> supposedly boyfriends, you want it to happen. And that's just not how things work. It's okay to ship characters and make your own fandom up, but it's just not what it is. And this article, which I'm not going to go through, does say because of some of the things and interactions that people say, Ryuji and certain scenes, makes it sound like he could be interested in our character, Joker. But do people not hang around with a bunch of dudes and realize that people talk like this sometimes? A bromance is okay. It's okay to be best buds and have that intimacy in a different way. You know, like Final Fantasy XV, the four bro characters, they weren't sexualized. They were just bros willing to die for one another. And that's the same thing with this game. And that's okay if it was the other way and you had the option to romance Ryuji. I would be totally fine with it. But I love when people just insert their own what it should be when they're just uh, playing the game and not making it. Going back to this original article, quote, These are the most important things that Persona 6 needs to do in order to rectify the mistakes of Persona 5 which is admittedly a great game for the most part, end quote. Those are, that's the most important issue that they have to make. Now you have to make the game that is actually really good first, like the predecessor of Persona 4 and 5 have really <laughs> built this uh, echelon of greatness. So that should be your first and foremost concern. Do I want more diversity in my Japanese role-playing games? Absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't? There's probably somebody out there that wouldn't like it and uh you know i'd question them but <laughs> this is a non-issue in my regard but the issue is journalists taking their own viewpoints and putting them on companies that don't have the same makeup the same history as we do over here in the west and it, it kind of baffles me and it comes off as really kind of strange at some points especially the final fantasy 16 one with dion a major character in a very popular franchise and you're saying it's not good enough but the dlc is so i want you all to be better but also expect better at the same time but let's try and do it in a logical way and from a different perspective put your sh yourself in their shoes you know that old quote you know just do that and i think you'll start to be more rational more reasonable but still demand better but with a more rational mind now, I could be missing something with this whole Final Fantasy 16 Horizon comparison going on here, but I do like that it's the same person. I can see, search the articles, the receipts are right there. Change of difference of opinion, which that person is totally allowed to have a difference of opinion. And I think both representations are good for gaming as a whole. More representation this way specifically, I think, is good. I prefer to the core game have the representation over the DLC. But if I'm missing something, please let me know. Uh, reach out. I'd love to discuss more about this, especially with somebody who has a different viewing point, because that's always fun in my head. I usually always learn something. But let's totally jump ship and go to how the Tales of series should evolve. Every single time I do a save point episode, I'm going to talk about a long running RPG franchise and see what they've been up to and where they I think they should go and what I'd like to see them do. This will be my own personal opinion. I'll have a little facts here and there sprinkled in. Now, <laughs> Tales of has kind of not really been in the spotlight except for that 
apparently pretty bad port of Symphonia, which is a really big bummer that there isn't really a definitive edition out there now. Still, kind of reminds me of Persona 3 and all that crap that's going on with that new remake and how it's not the Ultimate Edition. But let's look at the last three games in the Tales of series. So we had Tales of Zestiria in 2015 with a Metacritic of 72 with a little over a million in sales from quick Googling and stat looking. Tales of Berseria was in 2016, the Metacritic 79, sales a little over 2 million. So we had a jump in quality within a year of release, which is really interesting. They must have been working on those games at the same time. I know one's Berseria, I believe, is the prequel to Zestiria, or it's the other way around. I have played a good 20 hours of Zestiria. I have not played Berseria. And then the recent most Tales of game, Tales of Arise, which released in 2021, with a Metacritic score of 87, so a nice jump back up to the high 80s. I love to see that. And sales as of April 2022 were 2 million, so I'm sure it sold more than that. So we are on par, if not getting better than Tales of Berseria. Now, Tales of Arise was also on Xbox consoles, and it was uh, Berseria was not. So they're a little shifting around there. I did beat Tales of Arise. I enjoyed my experience of it. Some people think it's the best Tales of game. I definitely don't think it's there for myself, but I can see why a lot of people love it. I think it kind of loses itself at the last third of the game, uh, but you know, I'm weird about RPGs at the end. I want my last boss to be really, really cool and crazy, and I think they just went a little weird with it, but art style and the new combat system, my gosh. This is a very, very clean looking game, and I did like that they tried to tackle some subject matter that was pretty, you know, heart, heartfelt is the wrong word. Let's say prickly, prickly, uh, prickly themes, we'll call them, you know, where if you do it wrong, it could not look so well. And I think they, for the most part, they handled it all right. Uh, there's some little spots, which we won't get into right now, but... The combat system is very fluid, very action-oriented, but it still feels like a Tales of game. I did find that the bosses and some bigger enemies were definitely, well, I guess it wouldn't be called bullet sponges. I know, you know what? <laughs> One of the ladies uses the gun. Yeah, they're very bullet heavy. Like, you just pound on them over and over again. It takes a very long time to kill them. And I kind of felt like I was just doing the same thing over and over again, which I guess is what all games do. But it, it did feel kind of pronounced on certain things. But I think from the jump in Metacritic of the last two games, and now the sales also being on par with the latest one and probably more now, I think you just keep going what Tales of Arise did. I don't think you do a spin-off like an Arise 2 or a prequel or anything like that. I think you just take what you learned from the combat system, the fidelity of graphics and all that, and the open world-esque-ness of the game, the structure, and you take that and make it into a new Tales of experience. A lot of these games have similar themes and kind of makeups and a lot of callbacks, but I think you can make something very close to Tales of Arise, but different enough that it feels like a definitive new entry in the series while keeping the spirit and essence of what you've learned from Tales of Arise. That's what I would like to see. I, You know, I haven't played all the Tales of games, but I've, you know, I've, I've played a good chunk of them, and... They all feel different enough from one another that I don't think I want them to do much outside of what we've gotten before. <laughs> but it's very strange. Like Final Fantasy is very, it evolves every with 
for the most part, every entry that goes forward, every mainline numbered entry. Tails also changes up everything, but also still kind of feels like the same. You're playing the same game all the time, especially when you look through like the PS3 era and the PS4 era. They they play very similar to one another, but yet they're different. I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. It's, just, it's a great evolution of each game's mechanics and how they implement certain things. But at the same time, when you look at a Tales of game, you know it's a Tales of game. A lot of that could be handed to the character art design and the world design. They do have this cohesive nature that really stands out. But yeah, I really don't want Tales of games to really stray away from what we got in Tales of Arise. And I don't know if it's much of a change from Berseria. I mean, it was definitely a change from Zestereo, what I played. Though I do not like the the change up on how they handled skits. You know, it used to be talking head portraits and all that stuff. And the change up isn't bad per se. I just really like the old style versus that. Uh, if you don't know what the skits are, anytime when you're exploring the world or a city or a town, you can hit a certain button and you get these little tiny events that have little character building moments or just throw away slice of life stuff. And they're Sometimes pretty dang funny, and it just, it doesn't add much, but it adds enough that if you want even more connection with these characters, it's a great way. And Tales of Rise does that, but they just changed up the style, and then I'd rather go back to the old style. But again, if it never comes back, I'm okay, because I have plenty of games that have it. Where do you think Tales of games should go from here? Do you want a sequel to Tales of Rise? You know, maybe I kind of flew past that. Maybe somebody really wants a sequel to Tales of Arise, and you tell me why, and I'll be here and ready to listen, because that's what that's what I'm doing. So that is the first ever episode of Save Point. It's now in the ether, saved. The file is there for you to come and reference again. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much if you have listened to a previous episode of Bits of Time. We have a bunch of video game reviews, and seeing if games are worth your time. So until the next time, we need to find a save point. I wish you all the very best.